love Oklahoma history, and I love uh, uh, stories that come out of history and the struggles of, of life and living and just biographies and all sorts of uh, I just, I'm a history buff. I like good history stories, and certainly our state, our country, uh, the world. But I, I certainly love Oklahoma history. And, of course, one of the most difficult and darkest times was the Dust Bowl. How many of you remember that? Right, raise your hand. <laughs> There's a few people, actually. I, you know, I, I, I didn't know if a few would. But um, extreme heat and, and drought... Uh, hit our state, especially in the mid-1930s. Uh, uh, 1936 was considered uh, probably the worst year. Uh, an all-time record high was set as far as heat, 113 degrees in Oklahoma City in August of 1936. Uh, Black Sunday was uh, a particular uh, account where uh, large, giant dust clouds uh, were, were just, you know, going through the area. This is in Hooker, Oklahoma, uh, that you can, uh, you can see there. And, of course, the devastation, what it, what it did to the economy and, and farmlands and just the drought and, and everything. And that, of course, resulted in over 200,000 Oklahomans uh, headed, they headed west towards California to find work. Uh, unfortunately, most of them had to come back because Californians, they didn't take too kindly to the Okies. And, uh, and many of them, of course, had to flee and come back home uh, at some point. Uh, only about 16,000 remained, historians say, out of that 200,000 that went to Oklahoma. And so the rest of them had to make the long journey back to Oklahoma. Of course, John Steinbeck, of course, uh, most famously... Uh, recorded this and is uh, with his Grapes of Wrath uh, book about the displaced Oklahomans. And, uh, of course, the road that they traveled back on was what we, you know, Route 66 and, uh, uh, and that, uh, the history with that road. One of the more haunting images, though, that came out of that time, at least as far as the uh, photographs, uh, in addition to these dust clouds and, and the devastation during this time, uh, just kind of capturing the depression and the struggles uh, was a photograph by uh, a woman named Dorothy Lang. And she was commissioned at the time by the Farm uh, Security Administration to kind of uh, give documents, uh, uh, get, get a, a picture, a face uh, to the uh, displaced farmers and, and folks. And so Dorothy Lang found this photo that became one of the more popular, well-known photos of this time of a mother, uh, a migrant mother in 1936 uh, with her and her family. And here she is on the side of the road uh, where she was captured, just holding up, taking a break, resting on the journey from California back to Oklahoma with nothing except just whatever they could uh, throw up and put together. Uh, and, of course, her, her eyes. They just, to me, that just, what is she thinking, ladies? Can you imagine, what is she, uh, all the weight of her children and, and her life, the livelihood, and where are they going to find food, and are they going to survive this long journey on foot, on traveling, basically, from uh, California to, uh, to Oklahoma. And, you know, that, that, that story and that image, I think, is a good lead-in to the book of Ruth, 
The book of Ruth and the story of Ruth, and I love what you're doing uh, last summer, I believe, and now this summer as you're kind of just surveying the Bible and looking at what's the main point uh, of each of these books. And, and so when Marty gave me the list, uh, a number of the books were already, uh, that were left had been taken, and I looked down through there, and I, yeah, there's a little book of Ruth. I, I like the book of Ruth. Let's, let's talk about the book of Ruth. Uh, it's a short book, of course, that bears uh, her name. We don't know who the author is. Most uh, scholars and historians believe, Bible scholars believe, probably Samuel, but, uh, but we don't know that for sure. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Samuel, we don't know that for sure. Uh, we know the story takes place during the period of the judges. You might go ahead and turn over to Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. We know in verse 1 that it was during the days that the judges ruled. And you know, if you know your history about that time in Israel's history, that was a very dark, difficult time. That cycle that they would go through where they would, they would get a good ruler, a godly judge, ruler. They were more like military rulers. They weren't like judges that sat in a courtroom. But they would get a good godly ruler, uh, a judge, and then the people would be faithful and then they would uh, fall away when that judge would, would, would pass away and then the people would go into apostasy and then God would, would, would send the enemies of, uh, around the land to uh, punish the people and the people would cry out when they were being oppressed and then God would restore and save them with another deliverer judge. And it was that cycle for 400 plus years. And we know that as you go through the book of Judges, the, it progressively gets worse. Uh, the stories towards the the latter part are just horrific. Uh, it's just each person did what was right in their own eyes. It was just moral breakdown of depravity and, and violence. And, and, and so this was, if it's likely that Samuel wrote it, that it was, uh, Samuel was the transition figure between the judges and the monarchy. Of course, he would anoint the first two kings of Israel and Saul and David. And so uh, that would make sense that if Samuel is recording this in a very dark period in Israel's history, a light. This incredible story of this family that much like a family that was traveling on the mother road in the 1930s that uh, Dorothy Lane captured, that just coming from just terrible circumstances uh, and loss to, uh, to find hope and to find God. And so it's a great little book. Uh, there you can see on, on, on the map, it's going to involve, uh, as you look at the map, it's going to involve the, a family, uh, a husband, uh, Elimelech and his wife. All right, we'll do one, I'm going to dry one time, see if it boots back up, and if not, oh, we'll just leave it on that. So it involves this family, Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. And there is a famine in the land of, of Israel. They live in Bethlehem. And because of that famine uh, that is so severe, they're going to go over into the land of Moab. And so uh, Moab there, uh, as you can see, you know, Bethlehem, and then on the other side of the, uh, the Dead Sea is the land of, of Moab. And so they're going to go over there, even though that was the land of, of their enemy. Uh, for the most part, Israel and, and the Moabites did not get along. But you know, when you're desperate for your family, when you're desperate in, in your, uh, for those that you love, you know, you'll even go to your enemies. 
and, and whatever it takes. Uh, and some of you know what, what I'm saying when it comes to that, uh, no doubt. And so Elimelech takes his family and he goes into the land of Moab to, because, uh, so they can survive. Well, don't get too attached to, to Elimelech because he's not going to make it very long. Uh, and the, the, the tragedy strikes. The, the worst thing that could happen is, is, uh, is he, he dies suddenly and, and tragically. And so here is uh, Naomi, and she has uh, two sons, uh, Malon and Killian, and they're going to eventually marry two Moabite women. Uh, of course, Orpha and, of course, Ruth. Uh, that will become the principal character of the book. And so they're going to, uh, you know, I'm sure it's not what Elimelech and Naomi would have necessarily wanted, but they're in the land, they're settling down, they need to find wives. And so they're going to, uh, eventually they marry, uh, Malon and Killian will marry these two women, uh, Orpha and, uh, and, and Ruth. And so um, then tragedy strikes again, you know, as the story unfolds, uh, now uh, these sons of, of Naomi are going to die. And so, I mean, it just piles on, piles on. She loses her, her husband, her, her, her provider, protector in those times, in that, those culture, of course. And then yet she has two sons uh, that could look after and provide for her as, as, her, as, as their mother. And now the, the worst can happen she loses her two sons. And now all she has are two Moabite daughter-in-laws. Word eventually comes that the famine has lifted in Israel and she's going to go back to her people. Uh, even though she has nothing, uh, she's going to go back to her land. And she, so she had that in, the, in, in Ruth chapter 1, of course, you know that, that, that famous, uh, you stay here, uh, daughters, daughter-in-laws, uh, this is your family. The, this is your home life. This is, I have nothing to offer you. If we go back to, to uh, Bethlehem, uh, I don't have a husband. Uh, if I were to get married even and have a child, are you going to wait around until that child is old enough for you to marry? No. Stay here. Leave me. I'm going to return. And, uh, and both the text tells us there in Ruth chapter 1 verse 8 and 9, both Orpha and Ruth... Um, they cling to her. Uh, they, uh, they don't want to leave her. And it's going to take her two, you know, two other, uh, it'll take her two times where she'll say, you stay here. And finally she'll convince Orpha to stay. But of course you know the story in the text. Uh, Ruth will, will cling to, Na- to Naomi. Uh, uh, she gets down here, of course, these, this famous uh, verse down in verse 16 and 17, pick up reading now. Again, Naomi is saying, you stay here, you stay with your people and your gods, and I'm going back, verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me. Uh, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Look at verse 18. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. 
And so, of course, the story will unfold, and we're going to kind of come back to this in just a moment, but I want to just you know, continue summarizing quickly this story. Uh, chapter 1 you know, really sets everything in play, and then, you know, of course, chapter 2, uh, Naomi will return back to Bethlehem, and these women have to survive. They have no husbands. They have, uh, they're at the mercy of, of, of the community, of uh, of being provided for and trying to find some work, Uh, of course, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And so she will send uh, Ruth into the field uh, during their barley festival, uh, the Feast of Barley. And they're out there gleaning the fields, and basically gleaning the fields is any of the leftover wheat uh, and grain that had fallen. Uh, The poor, the foreigner uh, would be allowed to come and and, and gather what what was left kind of that had fallen. And so uh, she sends Naomi, uh, Naomi sends Ruth out there to, to do that. And in the field, she comes into the field that's owned by a man named Boaz. And so you have uh, Naomi, the widow, uh, then you have uh, Ruth, the Moabite, and then the third major character, of course, is Boaz, uh, the farmer. I don't know what else to call him. But uh, he is uh, a man that has uh, this field, and he begins to notice. And we're told some things about Boaz and this is important in interpreting, and especially when you get in chapter 3, uh, that gets a little, uh, little thorny, we'll, we'll mention. He's a man of noble character. Boaz is a godly man. And so Boaz sees and hears uh, through his servants, uh, who is that woman? He notices her. And he begins to hear the story, no doubt, of how she, even though she's a Moabite, she stayed with Naomi who lost her husband and her sons and they've come back now to kind of just survive. And he takes, he has kindness and compassion on her. Uh, he's actually, uh, he tells her, you know, you stay close to my, uh, my women servants uh, and I'm going to protect you from, you know, any danger and with the men and, and you know, you being a foreigner and you being a, a lady out here and just very vulnerable. And so he begins to take an interest in her and show kindness to her and, and allow her to uh, have that protection and, and make some special provisions for her. I'm not going to go into all the details. You can read into chapter 2, but there are several things that Boaz does. But he's actually fulfilling the law of Moses, church. Kindness towards the foreigner, the immigrant. God has always had a special place in his heart for the poor, for, uh, for the fatherless, the orphans, and for the foreigner or the immigrant. And Boaz is a godly man. He's doing that. Uh, even though there's nothing in return for him, what is he going to get out of helping uh, Ruth? You can, you know, we can read ahead and say, oh, eventually he's going to get a wife. But yeah. He doesn't know all that. And he's doing this out of the kindness of his heart and, and being a, godly, a, a noble man, the text says. And so, anyway, she'll go back home and she will report to Naomi what has happened. And Naomi recognizes that when she says it was in the field of Boaz. And then you get into this, the, when she, Naomi's going to say, oh, he, he is a, a close relative. He could be a kinsman redeemer. And so you get into some background there. Uh, that we could talk about uh, this kinsman redeemer, the law of the Leverite, where they could redeem if a, if a, if a, if an Israelite uh, 
was married, and, uh, and of course, if he were to die, and uh, what about his family, his wife, and his children? And if he had no children, all of his possessions, his name, uh, that needed to continue for the protection and for the inheritance of his uh, family. Or if he didn't have children, even the closest brother or living relative would then take that widow of his brother and marry her and, 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 and bear children so that the, the, the sons could have that name that would continue and the, the inheritance of the land. The Israelites, it was all about the land. Uh, it was so significant for them, and passing that down. So you have this strange cultural uh, rooted with the Hebrew people in the law of uh, this kinsman redeemer. Well, that comes to play in the book of Ruth. And so Naomi says... He's a close relative. He could be a kinsman redeemer. And so then you get into chapter 3. And chapter 3 can be a little bit, when you read it, uh, there are some sections in there that you can go, what's going on there? Uh, And there are some really bad explanations that I've heard uh, that uh, I completely reject. Uh, And, of course, you get into Boaz. Naomi's going to tell Ruth, uh, you need to take, basically, you need to take off the grieving clothes. And you need to uh, let it be known to Boaz that uh, you are eligible to, to, for marriage. And you need to make that gesture towards him. And so she says, hey, eventually he's going to be on the farm one night uh, winnowing the, uh, the wheat. And uh, after he drinks and, uh, and, and eats and, and falls asleep, you go down there and she's going to go down there and lie by his feet and uncover his feet. And, um, you know, it's a very... Uh, for us culturally, especially for those of us who believe in the purity of marriage and, and uh, n- not having sex outside of marriage, we can read that and go, is there something funny business going on there? Absolutely not. And I reject outright any, uh, 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 that there's anything but, but uh, uh, this noble uh, man and this woman who is described as a noble woman uh, are doing anything but... Uh, participating in some of what we might call maybe the dating rituals or ways that you would communicate, I'm available. And so uh, don't read into that sexual, even though there is, if you want to use the word, something romantic there going on, absolutely. But uh, no, the Bible, when it describes a man as noble and a woman who is noble, as it does Ruth and Boaz, we need to let that be our guide in interpreting uh, what could be a little odd passage. And nonetheless, uh, Boaz is receptive to this, uh, what, what uh, Ruth is saying. And he says, indeed, I will, I will be your kinsman redeemer. He will uh, take her and uh, redeem her and, her and Naomi and the family. And, uh, but he does say there's one problem. There is a closer living relative. So you get into chapter 4 of Ruth. And uh, Boaz, because he is an honorable man, he does go to the closest relative and he says, hey, I'm going to go the next morning. He tells Ruth, the next morning I'm going to go before the elders at the city gate. Uh, that's where businesses would be conducted there. You know, we go down to the courthouse, they go to the city gate, right? And so he's going to go down there in, in, in front of the elders and in, in front of the men and uh, he's going to go to the closest uh, relative and, and uh, say, uh, will you redeem uh, Naomi? And, and uh, you know, he initially says he will, but he doesn't realize, you know, it's not just he's going to redeem the land of Elimelech. He's also going to have to redeem Ruth, the Moabite, and take her to be his wife and to have, of course, uh, a child. And he says, whoa, 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 basically. 
I didn't know I was getting a, a Moabite wife that would be coming with this deal that I would be marrying. And so he basically then opts out uh, and says uh, that he doesn't want to do that. And so Boaz, of course, will, will take Ruth and will marry her. And, of course, look how the book ends here. That uh, Verse 13 of Ruth 4, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he had made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he, be, may he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. He will sustain your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. So she kind of adopts the child too as the grandmother. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him, and very important, Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And of course this transitions us out of the judges into Samuel and the period of the monarchy. And uh, in a much more uh, better time at least for uh, for, for God's people. Well, there's, some, there's a couple of key thoughts and lessons uh, in the book of Ruth that I want to uh, just quickly here uh, touch on here in this, uh, in this story. And I want you to see, first of all, the lesson that God is inclusive. Um, there's actually six times the text tells us Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth... I mean, when God says something once, it ought to get our attention, right? When the text, and there's only four chapters, tells us six times. As I said earlier, the, the Moabites, uh, boy, phew, you go back to that history. Lot had sexual relations with one of his daughters, and from that produced, he had a grandson and a child all in one, and that was Moab. And, and so... A very sordid story there and, and backstory, and eventually, of course, the Moabites were an enemy of Israel. Uh, they, when the Israel member came over into the land, uh, they were there to tempt them sexually with the, uh, and, a, and a bunch of the men were slaughtered, and, 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 and God punished them for chasing after that, uh, those Moabite uh, uh, women in sexual immorality. And so uh, there's a history here of the Moabites and Israel. They're not, they're not friends. Uh, they're, they're, they're enemies. Um, and so here God welcomes a non-Israelite into the covenant. Understand that? Into the covenant. Um, your people, go back to Ruth 1.16, will be my people. Listen, your God will what? Be my God. Oh, don't overlook that. You see that recognized in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 12, of course, I think as well. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you, you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, Boaz says about Ruth, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The imagery there of, of the wings, of the, and you've come to take refuge under God. God has welcomed and invited and, and, and received a non-Israelite into the covenant. Remember Jesus with his 
parable of the Good Samaritan showing us who's our neighbor, uh, who are we obligated to love, and who is our neighbor. Uh, He told that parable of the Good Samaritan. Well, we say the Good Samaritan for the Israelites, for the Jews. They were not good. That's not how they would have titled it in their Bibles. (laughs) The Bad Samaritan is what they would have called it. And so here's this enemy um, in that time among the Jews. They were, uh, the Samaritans had mixed uh, racially uh, with the Assyrians going back to the northern kingdom. And they, when they were repopulated, they, uh, they adapted the religion and the culture. And so the Samaritans were racially mixed. They were religion. Their religion was, uh, they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. And so the Jews despised the Samaritans. Uh, they, they viewed them as their enemies, dogs. And so here is Jesus saying, no, this is your, this is uh, who, who loves his neighbor is this Samaritan. Um, and so here you have the same thing in the book of Ruth. Uh, you have the author identifying Ruth as a Moabite, a Moabite. God, God is no respecter of persons. I hope you believe that. God looks at the heart God does not judge the external. God, uh, the color, the ethnicity, and how they look, and how they sound, and how they dress, and all those things that we judge people by, God doesn't judge people by. Who we are matters more than where we've come from, or what race we are, or what nationality we are. Uh, And that is what is, is important. Jesus has broken down those barriers. Uh, They weren't broken down in the Old Testament, but uh, they were going to be through Jesus Christ. And so don't miss that message. Ruth has integrity. Ruth is doing what's right. Uh, The apostle Peter would learn that. Remember in Acts chapter 10 and verse 35. I now realize that God does not show favoritism. Remember that? but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. God is indeed inclusive. Uh, People can be exclusive. I don't have to tell you, our culture is very exclusive more and more. We're getting worse, it seems like, not better. But God is inclusive. And don't ever forget that. I think we see that in the book of Ruth. I think you also see here, God is loyal. Uh, This is a major theme here in the book. Um... You know, I love the passage, though, in 2 Timothy. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, thinking about this, I love when Paul is, uh, he's waiting his execution, uh, his day with the executioner. And he's kind of, you know, uh, going over his life. He's hitting the highlights, the high points, some of the disappointments. And as Paul is facing his execution, listen to this now, he takes comfort in the fact that God is faithful. He, uh, uh, he's trustworthy. Um, and look what he says here in 2 Timothy 1, verse 11 and 13. Of this gospel, I was appointed a, a herald and an apostle and teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. He would get over into chapter 2 in 2 Timothy and, and say, uh, 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 verse uh, 13, 13 of 2 Timothy 2, If we are faithless, 
He remains faithful. Boy, isn't that good news? We become wishy-washy and we become a little squirrely and we, uh, we don't always uh, fulfill what we say and do what we want, we, we say we're going to do and we're not always loyal and faithful and true and, and yet God is not that way. Even when we are not faithful and faithless, He remains faithful. Circumstances have, have nothing to do with God's faithfulness. We, we think that though. We think unless things are going right in my life, you know, God's, is He really being faithful to me? Is He loving me? Is he, is he neglecting me? And yet, the circumstances don't affect the faithfulness of God. And you find this in the book of Ruth. The word in the Old Testament is, uh, it's kind of, it's it, hesed. It kind of has a gutter sound to it. And it's a word that speaks of the loving kindness, the faithfulness of God. It's actually translated 13 different ways in the, in the uh, uh, King James translation. Translators aren't exactly sure how to translate it. Your loving kindness, your, your covenant love, uh, your faithfulness. And you find that throughout the book. God is faithful and he calls his people to be faithful. Uh, again, we saw that in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16 where Ruth expresses you know, that faithfulness and loyalty to, uh, to Naomi. She uses the word, uh, the, the text uses the word uh, there in... Um, <clears throat> that she she would not leave or let go, or she would uh, uh, she clung. I think the King James uses uh, she clung to uh, to Naomi. You know, you can go back to Genesis two when a man is to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And that word "join" there, if the if the if the Hebrew word uh, if there was a word for glue, that would be the word they would you know they, they you stick together. And that kind of loyalty and commitment. And, and, and yet we don't see that today. We don't see it in our country when people, uh, you know, I pledge allegiance. And I'm not ashamed to pledge allegiance to the flag. Uh, some people, if that bothers you, I'm sorry. And I don't, I don't want it to be offensive. But I have no problem pledging loyalty to this country. And I'll vote and I'll be a good citizen. If I'm called, our, our church secretary at Crosstown has been called to jury duty. And we had to, I had to have a little quick theological, you got to be careful when you do that though, uh, and say, you know, you're fulfilling your civic duty and God calls us to do that. And she just kind of looked at me like, is the sermon over? And I, I was teasing her. But I'll be loyal, I'll be faithful, and when it's good in our country, I'm going to be loyal and hopefully... Even if things aren't going well, I'm going to be loyal and faithful. And I pledged to my wife, Marty talked about there at Carbondale, where he preached in that auditorium 22 years ago, that I would be faithful and loyal and true to Maggie. Both when things are good, and we've had some good times in 22 years, and even when things aren't so good, we've had some times where it's not so good in 22 years. And as we move now into <clears throat> middle age, as I'm uh, discovering, uh, our bodies and, and there's going to come a, t a day probably with one of us or maybe both of us when health fails and we're going to be loyal and true to each other even to the end of death because that's what we said. And that's what God calls us to. But yet here's... Ruth being this loyalty to her mother-in-law. Now, you never see that, right? I'm just teasing now. Come on. 
mother-in-laws, I know you're wonderful out there. No mother-in-laws in here are bad. I know that. Those are other mother-in-laws, right? But uh, she's to a mother-in-law makes this kind of commitment. And then you see Naomi's uh, commitment, I think, as well, and uh, providing, wanting to provide security and a future for her daughter-in-law and, and arranging this plan to go to Boaz and let him be our kinsman redeemer. You see Boaz with his loyalty and his integrity, who uh, he becomes the kinsman redeemer, um, even though, you know, he's not getting anything out of that. He's an honorable man, a noble man. And you see his commitment and his loyalty. And that's what God calls us to. I love Psalm 36.5 where David says, You, o, you Lord, uh, your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Listen to this. Your faithfulness to the skies. God's faithfulness, just try to get up there and grab the sky. That's how high, that's his faithfulness. God is loyal. He calls us to be loyal. And you see this hesed, this, this covenant love, this faithfulness in the book of Ruth. And then lastly, I would say this. All God's working in the book of Ruth. Uh, the providence of God is, is all throughout the story in, in the book of Ruth. Um, and the thing about that is, in this regard, is... You don't see these extraordinary powers of God, displays of God's uh, miraculous supernatural powers. You don't, there's no dreams or visions. There's no parting of the Red Seas. There's no plagues. There's no striking people down. There's, there's none of those. There's no angels that appear. It's kind of like today, I believe. You have to hope. You trust God. That if you seek His will, if you seek Him in His prayer and, and, and living faithfully before Him, uh, you're not going to see likely those tangible evidences of God. You're not, the heavens aren't going to open. The sea isn't going to part. I've prayed for a lot of folks. And, and you know, even if they are healed and restored, they're eventually going to die. I mean, we're, our bodies are wearing out. And, and so uh, God is, is providentially working powerfully uh, most often behind the scenes in, in, um, in circumstances, in people, uh, in our lives. Um, that's the book of Ruth. Isn't it amazing that of all the daughters that Malon and Kilion were happened to marry, they just so happened to marry Orpha and Ruth. What a coincidence. Wow, what great luck, right? And then they go back to Bethlehem. And in all the fields that they could have gleaned, that uh, Naomi could have sent Ruth into, she just happens to come into the field of, of, a, of a family member, right? Wow, what a coincidence, right? No. And of all the people down the line that's reliable, a good man who would be a good kinsman redeemer, Boaz just happens to be a man of integrity. And he happens to, the reward, if you will, is he gets a godly woman, a woman of loyalty. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. No. No. They're not coincidences. They're God's hand moving and working providentially uh, behind the scenes. It's kind of like... Um, it's not going to show up, but I had a picture of the old classic movie Snow White, right? And the, uh, you know, and the and Seven Dwarfs. 
1937. There, there, there she is. I, I clicked it back. I'm up here trying to do this and work this. So, uh, but here's the thing about this. Today, you know, it, it, in some ways it's, it is easier to, to make animated movies in, in, in some ways. Back in those days, it was, a, it was an enormous task. And for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Disney artist drew over a million pictures. million pictures. It's a lot of pictures to draw. And each picture, listen to this. Do you know how, how long they were on the screen? One twenty-fourth of a second they were on the screen. <laughs> all that time, all that drawing, it's up there one twenty-fourth of a second. But when we watch the movie, what? Wow, it just flows. It just, uh, it just works. It just snaps. It just so smoothly. And we have, we have no idea when we watch something like that, all the work and what it took to, to produce that and make that. And our movies are kind of like that. And we get up and we eat and we go to work and we drive through traffic and we see people and we talk to people and we, we do things and we sometimes think, what's the point? What's happening? Is, there any, is God doing anything in my life? And we don't realize He's working in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our children's lives, in, in our church. And, and when we're here and we think, is anything happening? Does anybody notice what I'm doing? Or I'm trying to live for God. And we, we just sometimes forget. Our lives run at regular speed. And if we could just slow down sometimes and take a close look at our lives, we would see the hand of God, I believe. I, and providence is always looking back. It's never in the, in the front mirror, okay? It's always in the rearview mirror. You look back and you say, I see God's hand in this situation. Um, with Maggie, I just, she was talked into going to camp. It was her senior year. She had just graduated. And our youth minister, Davey Carter, uh, who Marty and I a long time, uh, a friend, minister, friend of ours as well that uh, we love, Davey was my youth minister, and he knew the Rampy family. His uh, sister, Connie, and the Halsteads were at, uh, at Carbondale, where Marty and Debbie were at. And he talked, hey, you know, it's a different camp. I know it's your last year. You just graduated, you know, and maybe you think, because she wasn't so sure on do I want to go. And, and they convinced her and talked her into going. And boy, am I glad they did, right? Because I met Maggie Rampy there. And I just, you know, that's something big, but you can just look back on your life and you can see the providential hand of God. God, so many of these stories in the Bible, they could, I imagine in the years that would follow, they could look back and say, wow, the hand of God was there and there and there and here. And, and we walk by faith and not by sight. We trust that God's at work in our lives. And ultimately, of course, the book of Ruth here, as the bell uh, closed, uh, we see the, uh, uh, the work of Christ. Ultimately, Boaz parallels the work of Jesus. Because if you fast forward to the New Testament, remember the book ends with Obad and Jesse and Jesse to David. But when you get to the New Testament, of course, you see it all. That through that line of David... The Messiah would come, the King of, of Israel, of the Jews, Jesus Christ. And there in the genealogy, all of the women who are mentioned, by the way, in Matthew in the genealogy, all would be somewhat 
to put it mildly, controversial among Jews when they would read that. Oh, um, uh, Bathsheba? Matter of fact, they don't even say the name. They just, you know, then you have uh, Tamar and you have Ruth, the Moabite. But she's there and in the lineage of, of Jesus. And, um, and Boaz, of course, parallels the work of Christ who is our Redeemer. I know my Redeemer lives, right? We don't we sing that song. The work of Christ. God is showing His, his love, His faithfulness, and ultimately His plan to save and redeem us from our sins. And when we were in helpless, hopeless condition, I mean, as bad as the, the woman on the side of the road there that Dorothy Lang took the photo as, as bad as it was for, for Naomi and Ruth, it was worse for us dead in our sins. And when we were dead in our sins, Christ Jesus came. God sent the Redeemer to save us. And so we see a picture ultimately of salvation, I believe, as the story continues in the rest of the Bible. But uh, appreciate your time and may this story continue to encourage us uh, in our lives and in our faith.